Thanks for tuning in to Tax Strategy Digest, where we explore the fascinating world of finance. Join us as we dive into the stories, insights, and experiences of experts, thought leaders, and everyday people who are making a difference in this field. Through engaging conversations and thought-provoking discussions, we'll take a deep dive into the latest research, trends, and innovations shaping finance. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn something new on this journey here with us. Welcome to this episode of Tax Strategy Digest. Today, our guest is Yuri Kapilovich, the owner of Kapilovich & Associates, a New Jersey-based CPA firm specializing in providing high value and personality along with the basic accounting and tax services. He is passionate about disrupting the stereotypical view of the accountant and making accounting a fun and attractive profession. Yuri, thanks so much for joining me on this episode today. I'm excited to have you. You got it, man. You got it. That was great. That was a good, good little summary, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, tell us about your story. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so my story, you know, kind of in a nutshell, interestingly enough, it goes back um, to obviously college, you know, trying to figure out what I want to do in my career, trying to figure out what direction I want to take. In my mind, I've always been business oriented, always wanted to do something in the business world, but I always thought I was going to do finance. Um, I'll cut the story shorter, but basically what happened was my grade got messed up in one of my classes right at the time where I was supposed to apply to a business school. I go to uh, apply to the business school and um, basically they were saying that my, my grade isn't high enough to even qualify. So I couldn't get into the business school at all until I fixed that grade. By the time I fixed that grade, finance was already all you know filled up. And the only thing that was more or less left was accounting. So all right, I still business oriented, but I don't know anything about accounting anyway. So then I joined up there, um, finished business school, did a lot of tax classes. I love the tax aspect of things. Um, and then started my journey, kind of traveling around and and going to all the firms and trying to figure out where I want to stay and make partner as as most you know firms will want you to do. Nice. And what made you decide that you wanted to really take matters into your own hands and start your own firm? Yeah, sure. So, so essentially kind of ties into that, which is essentially when I started going down the journey, I, I've been to seven firms ranging from the big four to EY uh, down to a smaller firm, which had about a hundred people in it. And to me, what happened was as I was traveling around these different size firms, I was kind of taking note of what I liked, what I didn't like. And, and again, the goal was to just make partner. It was never to really go out on my own until a certain point came where I realized I'm not happy in any of these places. I'm not getting enjoyment out of it. I would have six months where I was super happy. I liked the work. I was like, yes, this is the place. This is it. And then six months passed. And then the next six months, I'm like, okay, this is, I don't like that. I don't really like that. And then the last six months, because it was essentially a year and a half at every single place. Um, and um, eventually I just said, you know what? Like this is not working out. I would just get really mad, really annoyed. And it just wasn't a good look for me. And so, yeah, so that kind of made me have to, have to get out of it, go out on my own and try to build something that, that I really enjoyed. Awesome. And um, when you started, I mean, did you have a, a full book of clients? How did you really take that leap on your own? Sure. Yeah. So it's funny. It's an interesting story. It wasn't funny at the time, but it's kind of funny <laughs> now. Um, I was working for, at a, at a somewhat, somewhat of a large firm making $150,000 a year, which is great money, had a kid and, and health insurance and all that. And it plays a huge part into consideration, you know, especially once you have a kid, once you have those golden handcuffs, as they call yeah. them, because, you know, it's hard to leave a job that's giving you net because, you know, everything was on me, the health insurance and all that, you know, it's probably netting about seven, seven and a half, you know, seven thousand uh, a month. 
So that's, you know, good salary. It's great. And everything is covered. And that's after tax too. So you didn't have to worry about that. But, you know, what happened was I, I decided, all right, I want to go out on my own. I want to try. And coincidentally, one of the guys that I knew kind of around here, younger guy was selling off about $100,000 worth of his business. And I said, all right, I'll buy that. That's a good starting point for me. I have $100,000 worth of work. I can make that work. And, and, and that helps me. Me on the side, on I had $15,000 roughly of, of just like kind of friends, family, like nothing, you know, nothing, nothing too, too big or anything like that. In my mind, I thought to myself, if I can build that up to 50,000, personally, without the buying out the firm, if I can yeah. build it up to 50,000, I would then quit because 50,000 would allow me to ride through the tax season, make the 50,000 and then keep that growing. But well, what ended up happening was we were talking about this deal, thought it was going to happen. I gave notice based on that deal. And then five days after I gave notice, the deal fell through, the guy got sued. And it became a, a situation where I had to kind of sit there and decide like, okay, am I going to just kind of put my put my tail back and, and you know, go back to the firm or just run with it anyway and talk to my wife and everything. And, you know, we ended up going, going for it. And yeah, so it's kind of, it's kind of how that worked out. So with $15,000 worth of revenue, um, I kind of started that, that whole process more or less from zero. Wow. And is that when you decided that you wanted to make your personal brand as the fun CPA? Um, and why don't we talk about the fun CPA a little bit as well? How did you even start with that slogan? I, I love it. I, I think it's awesome. Thanks, man. It's one of the, um, one of the reasons I reached out to you, I, I love your LinkedIn posts. I, um, I love engaging with your content. It's super in, um, invigorating, exciting. So, um, how did you come about with all that? Thanks, man. Thanks. Appreciate that. Um, it's, it's funny, nothing, <laughs> nothing that I do. And I talk about this in, on LinkedIn too, like nothing that I do is really ever intentional on purpose with like planned per se, right? That's a lot of the times in the entrepreneurship business world. That's really how it works out a lot of times. But the fun CPA didn't, was never something I wanted to like, if you asked me when I launched my firm, if that's, you know, if that's what I intended to do, no way. I just started posting. And I started posting when I first left and I, and I was, I was um, contracting out in, in New York City. And I would take the bus to New York City back and forth on the bus. I probably had about an hour and a half each way. I figured, all right, I'll mess around, started posting on LinkedIn, adding some value to people in the industry, talking about the things that annoyed me back then. As it developed about a year into it, I kind of, you know, saw just randomly one day, I just put hashtag the fun CPA. I was uh, after a bike ride or something, you know, and then that kind of stuck. I was like, you know what, I'm going to keep using it. I kept using it, kept using it, kept using it. And then I'm like, okay, I, you know, I'm really going to lean into it. One day I just decided, and then, you know, the fun CPA, this is the hat. Nice. You know, and then uh, the fun CBA, you know, everything, everything I try to do now is is now more focused on that because it's also something that's so different, so unique. And it is me, you know, I'm personally like just a fun guy. I don't, you know, I, I'll talk to you about anything in the world other than taxes. Then we can talk about the taxes, you know, but we're going to have a good time. We're going to kind of, you know, hang out really chill, kind of low key on a, on a, in a fun way and then talk business. But that's kind of the idea behind it. And people gravitate towards that. Most of the time I get questions like, what is the fun CPA? Like, how is that even possible? <laughs> yeah. Funny. Do you, uh, do you get clients because of that? Just because of the branding, do they want to talk to you more or um, is it just kind of an added bonus? So that's a really good question. I don't, I don't think, I mean, sure. I'm sure that the aspect of the differentiation, the fact that I'm on social media posting and stuff like that, I don't do it to get clients per se. I do it mostly to connect with people like you, people like the financial advisors, people like 
any attorneys, all that stuff. That's what I really do it for, right? I don't do it necessarily to go direct to consumer because I'm not that interested in that. Um, I'd rather have a referral source from someone who has the trust with their client to say, hey, you know, this, you know, Yuri is, is the man and he's the one to go to. Um, I'm sure it helps for sure. You know, I mean, I'm sure it doesn't hurt at all to say, hey, you know, some differentiator of somebody who's looking for an exciting new account that isn't boring that they can speak to. And that's that's what I honestly hear a lot from new clients. I'll hear the, uh, you know, listen, like, I really just can't talk to my account. Like, I, you know, we don't communicate. I, you know, I can't get through to them or or we don't connect. We just talk at tax time. And that's where we kind of touch base. Yeah. Is that a big problem you think with a lot of the typical standard accountants right now? I mean, just not being able to communicate on that peer-to-peer level other than the taxes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that especially here's what happens. And I, and you know, this is what I've seen time and time again as a kind of theme. Think about you, for example, or, or even me before I started doing this, right? Who was sure. my accountant? Who was doing my taxes before you learn how? Usually you're going to go to your parents, right? Like your parents have an account that they've used for a while. Then as you grow up, you know, then you, when you start making money enough to actually have to file a tax return, you're going to go to him too or her. Then as you know, you get older, they get old, your parents and, and so does the accountant. Now, the old, you know, it's just the same relationship over and over and over again. And you're typically like, well, I just use my parents' account. I don't know. He's fine. You don't know any different. You don't want to change it up. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of trust and loyalty in the game of of, of CPAs and, and all that. Like to switch is a, is a pretty big, big moment for a lot of people. So, you know, that, that's kind of where you, where, you, where the starting point is. So in order to convert, so in order to leave the account you were with, there really has to be something different that you're just not getting. And I think that a lot of times it is the personable aspect where they're just your parents accountant like you're not just going to go call them up be like yo what up like you know let me talk to you about my taxes right you're going to be like um okay i guess i'll talk to you at, at tax time you know so that connection isn't necessarily there as much as someone might want to be and i think if you're like a w2 person you probably don't need it's fine it's a good relationship don't fix what's yeah. not broken i say it all the time but as but as but as people start becoming more business owner business oriented it's important to have that conversation more often at that point. Got it. And how how busy are um, CPAs generally during tax season? Is it true that it's just your wake up, tax returns, go to bed? Is that is that actually a thing? I mean, I I see that publicized all the time. What does that that timeline actually look like? Yeah, for me, it's not. So for me, I, I make it. That's my whole point of building this thing. I'm not building it for the volume aspect. I'm not building it to have 800 clients or 1500 clients of 1040 only cranking them out. That's what's going to do that. I'm going to give you a quick background on basically how most CPAs operate, especially the people that have been around for some time. So what happens is, you know, when when you launch the firm and especially if you don't necessarily have a, 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 a like a goal of where you want to be, where it's like a value-based firm, you're going to take on any and everybody, right? You know, somebody comes to you with a W-2, you're going to take them because somebody referred you. Gonna, and that once you have that two, three, four, five people that come in as W-2 only, volume-based, couple tax, now you've become that guy because they're going to keep referring their friends. Say if your fee is 300 bucks, whatever, right? You're just a good accountant, I'm sure, you know, with, with just a large book of business. Now what happens is those people during tax season, no tax return realistically, no tax return is going to take to prepare and review properly, um, less than like half an hour, maybe, you know, probably 45 minutes is an average time, even for a 1040, like 
with just a W-2 because you're going to have to put the W-2 in. You're going to have to check it. You're going to have to make sure you didn't miss anything, whatever, unless it's like a kid's return or something super simple. So now you have a bunch of returns. They're probably stemming three, you know, 300 clients at even at 45 minutes is just shy of, you know, 300, 300 hours, right? Yeah. That's a lot of time. And that problem is, is every, not everybody's going to be like, oh, it's January. Let me go get you all my stuff. Tax yeah. W-2s are usually only finished up by January 31st, right? And all the 1099s, if you have them, so on and so forth, only get released then. It's like you, you're talking about you lost the whole January already. That's just standard, right? You have no documents until January 31st. You're not doing much. February comes around. Some people are starting to send you stuff. Now you got, now if you're getting piecemeal stuff, that's even worse because you're getting piecemeal stuff. Now you got to go, oh, wait a minute. Did he give me this? Did he give me that? The documentation gathering process is easily an hour of time if the client is not organized enough to know what to send you. So now you got just shy of an hour for the uh, collection of documentation and then just, and then half an hour to prepare the return. So with all that, it's, it's a lot, it's pretty hectic. It can, you know, and, and that's, what's really generating. And again, you're only starting that mid February, you know, maybe end of it. And now you're really crunched. You got two months left, 300 hours minimum, break that out by week. That's why people are going crazy. So my dynamic, my aspect is um, value-based. Less clients, more, higher fees. I'll push the fee, you know, by pushing my fee up, I get rid of the folks that, that you know, won't necessarily see the value. It's more transactional. And then I attract the business owners that way to have less clients, but higher value. So I don't end up being insanely busy and not pick up the phone, which is a big complaint. Yeah, totally. And what are some of the things you help your clients with? I know you just mentioned that you're more value-based. What are some of the reasons that people reach out to you for the most part? I, you know, it's funny. I, I really think that now, as, as you're asking me this, I'm, I'm you know, going down deeper into the fund CPA perspective. I think the value that I provide outside of having 12 years experience in the industry, dealing with multimillionaires, you know, having all that strategy there and everything I've learned from that. That's amazing. Great. Whatever. I take it to people, business owners who, um, whose book, whose gross revenue is less than 5 million now. So I can really be on a personal level, but I think really the personal level, the ability to give me a call more or less anytime, you know, anybody, people call me anytime I get argue probably 20 to 30 texts a day, you know, of random questions here and there, the personability aspect is where the value is driven from. Um, you know, when somebody has a question like, hey, should I buy this car or should I lease it? Um, literally, the, I, kid you not, they're at the dealership. Like, you know, and then he calls me up and he's like, hey, I, I was at the gym working out, whatever, you know, and yeah, a real quick answer. It took me less than 10 minutes. That value is something that's kind of like unspoken. I'm not doing anything per se. I'm not, you know, I'm just answering a quick question. But that's then what drives that person to say, hey, friend, business owner, friend you know, you got to use Yuri and that's it. You know what I mean? Like that, that to me, I think is where the value is at. It's in the ability to feel comfortable to pick up the phone or text or whatever, and know that you're going to get an answer that is correct. You know? Yeah. You can't really get that from almost anybody nowadays. I feel like there's a whole process. Um, You have to fill out seven different calendar links (laughs) and get there. So no, that's, that's perfect. And kind of on the same note, I've seen this on so many Instagram, you know, reels or LinkedIn posts. I'm going to ask you if it's true. There's, there's all these people who 
will say that, you know, you need to go buy a G-Wagon because it meets some <laughs> crazy tax deduction. Is that actually a thing? Or is that what these people are calling you about saying, hey, should I buy this G-Wagon right now because it's going to help my taxes? It's fun. It's interesting. Yes and no. I mean, okay. every people do hear about that. And 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 I battle. It's, our, it's probably one of the biggest and most annoying parts of my <laughs> the bane of my existence is social media yeah. from the perspective of wrong information that when a like a client will forward me a video, I hate it. So I, I can't like, if you're going to forward me a video on Instagram, I'm already like annoyed in general, even if the video is correct. But the thing is like, yes, the hype out there is, you know, get the G wagon, get the write off. It's true. I mean, for the most part, barring some, you know, rules and you got to make sure you got to make sure it's legit. If it's a legit, you want a G-Wagon, you're going to use it in your business, preferably 100% of the time. It's actually for your business, not just because you want to buy a G-Wagon personally and go drive around all day, right? If you do that and you make enough money to justify that, obviously you need to be able to afford this G-Wagon, like, you sure. know, not everybody can. Um, then yes, then you can get a write-off or the one section 179 deduction or bonus depreciation. Again, if it's a vehicle utilized in business 100% of the time, preferably, um, then you're going to get that right. So yes, I mean, you could get it. But the problem that the things that people don't talk about is that let's just say it's a $150,000 car. So yeah, sure. You get $150,000 deduction year one, you can lower your income by $150,000. Hooray. You know, like right. if you bring it down, let's say from 200,000 to 50,000, you're only going to pay tax on 50,000. If the next year you decide, I don't like this G-Wagon anymore, and you want to go trade it in, that trade-in value is taxable income. So if you bought it for 150, traded it in for 100 in the following year, you're going to pick up that income right back up. Now, nobody talks about that. I'm not right. surprised why. You know, that's not going to sell, right? Yeah. But that's the kind of stuff that people don't talk about. That's the kind of stuff I battle. And I'll say... You know, I, coincidentally, the guy I was talking about that called me or whatever from the dealership yeah. was actually buying a Range Rover that does qualify for the 6000 Listen, you like Range Rovers? Great. You have the money to buy it? Great. You know, you 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 want to reduce your taxable income because you're going to make a million dollars this year? Great. You don't care that if you were traded in two years from now, it's going to be taxable income? Great. Those are all the factors that we go through in that probably 10-minute quick conversation to then say, you know, but at the end of the day, the decision I always tell people is not never tax related, right? If you want the car, go get the car. You know, even if you get a, a non 6,000 pound car, you're still going to get some write off, but you want to like the car, not do it because Instagram told you. <laughs> what are what are some of the um, Instagram or other, you know, social media strategies that just are absolutely out there and you have to dispel them every day. Cause I think there's going to yeah. be people listening who I've obviously seen those that, you know, some influencer is telling him works. Um, what are some of the ones that you just, you just say, Hey, no, stop, stop this right now. They're pretty much like all of them, but I mean, okay. you know, but if I was to like zone in on a few that are highly irritating, I would, pro I mean, I've keep seeing this stupid one out there. That's like, you know, right off your birthday party. Or something I've <laughs> like you know I'm sure you've seen that if you're perusing Instagram yeah. it's like you know have a mastermind at your birthday party I'm sorry if my friends come to my birthday party and I'm gonna have a mastermind they're all leaving I'm gonna be the only one partying over here like you know that's the weirdest <laughs> thing ever like you know be realistic about it yeah. you know be like the people talking about how you know 
your, your business, your friends or your business partner, what are you talking about? You know, that, that's not going to work. So at the end of the day, the problem is this. People are talking about these things that, on Instagram as if they're like strategies. They're not strategies. You're just putting that shit on the, well, I don't know if I can curse, hey, whatever. You're putting <laughs> that shit on the tax return. Yeah. And, you know, and then once they put that on the tax return, it's like a, a, a you know, a, a submit and pray. Right? right. At the end of the day, you could put anything on a tax return. Right. But if it gets audited and when it gets audited is when you're going to have issues. So, yeah, sure. You can put that birthday party on there. Great. You know, right. but if you get audited, you know, you can't submit a video that you saw as support, you know, for it. And no, the IRS is not going to buy that you did a $7,000 birthday party and, you know, you are going to write it off because you had a mastermind. You know, that's not how it works, even if you show them a video from Instagram. Uh, another one we'll probably see a lot of again, and and this one is more legit. But I've seen I've been seeing it a lot. It's a short term rental strategy where okay. you know you Airbnb, you you buy a, a property, you Airbnb it, you have people staying there under seven days, you spend a lot of time. That one is more on the legit side. It's a good way to to truly is a good way to reduce W two or active income because of that carve out for short term rentals. But again, a lot of these people talking about it, a lot of these social media gurus that talk about it completely ignore the fact that not everybody is going to want to actually manage a short-term rental property right like right. you need to buy the prop not only do you have to buy the property you have to understand where you're buying it at i live in a pretty you know like i would say rural like you know 45 minutes outside of new york city very active area here right like you know as far as people a lot of restaurants a lot of this and that it's not New York City. Who's going to come here? For I'm just throwing an example, right? If you yeah. didn't do your research, nobody's going to come to Marlboro, New Jersey for a you know two or three day bachelor party, right? So, so if you, if somebody's going to buy a property here, you know, sure they're going to get that right. They can get that write off or whatever it is that strategy, but they're not making any money because they're never renting out this property. So what are you doing, right? So it has to make sense. The property has to actually make money for you to do that. And again, the other thing that he talks about is if you then went and, and turned around and said, oh my God, why did I get into this? Like, this was horrible. And you go to sell it. Maybe you, you, know, you sell it at a, at a small loss or, or whatever it is. You got to pick back up that depreciation that you took from your cost segregation study and all that. Again, nobody talks about that, but you're going to have a huge tax impact that next year. So it's just things like that nature. Um, you know, pretty much any strategy that I see, I could pretty much poke a hole in so long because I know that it's <clears throat> being catered to the masses right. for publicity and followers and none, 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 no legit real strategy is going to gather followers because it's boring. Right. And the thing is too, there is some validity. It sounds like with each of those strategies, it's just that they're not sharing the, you know, the Correct. reason why everyone isn't doing it. They're just telling you the, oh, hey, yeah. this this is something you could do. Do it. Um, just to get those likes, to get those followers, like you were saying. Exactly. There is no validity to the birthday thing. Yeah. Okay. Just <laughs> are, are you sure you don't want to have a mastermind at your house during your birthday? Yeah. You know what? I, yeah. Next time I'm going to do a birthday party, I'm going to th throw one together, get a DJ, get a bunch of, you know, get a bunch of fun things going on, get a, you know, ice cream truck, do all this stuff, get a caterer yeah. and all that. And then have everybody sit there and listen to me talk about taxes. Sounds like a great party. I know. So for the duration of the entire thing, and you better not be dancing. All right. This is not a fun time. <laughs> you know, we're out here just, just talking about taxes. I mean, actually, if you probably did that, it'll probably work. Um, right. But 
also you're gonna bore everybody to death and they will all leave but listen again there is some there's some validity can be made for anything that you see out there does it make yeah. sense for you no and if and if the the instagram reel starts with you know this is how you save money on taxes and this is what the irs doesn't want you to know or these are the common things that it starts with or this is how the rich stay rich no the rich became rich doing real business things not you know scamming the irs with tax money so you are really big on linkedin i mean that's how we met um you're also big on instagram where do you see yourself headed within the next two to three years? I know you also have a podcast and maybe those three things are, um, and we can talk about the podcast in a little bit here, but I know maybe those three things are more for marketing and just getting out there for you. But where where do you just see yourself going uh, the next few years? I, don't, I mean, at the end of the day, to me, it's all about growing the firm. Like, you know, obviously the bread and butter is the firm. The bread and butter are my clients. Uh, gathering, you know, bringing on more clients on a subscription-based model, which is what I do, uh, you know, where the bookkeeping, the tax returns, and all that is included in a monthly fee. So you never see an invoice from me. You're never surprised about what our arrangement is going to be or what, you know, you're never going to get a bill in April, you know, you're not ready for. It's going to be monthly, and we're going to work off of that. Um, so that's the bread and butter. That's what I'm trying to fill up the buckets more, bring in more clients, bring that revenue up. Everything else is somewhat more on the personal branding side. You know, if you were to ask me what I would love to see in two to three years is me doing more, like me doing speaking engagements, uh, me doing more consulting out there to, to accounting firms to help them develop and, and you know, bring their staff kind of to become happier to stay, to to really, de you know, develop them. And I think, you know, to me, that's that's the goal. But all the social media stuff, and by the way, I'm not that big on Instagram. I get like 500 followers, so... Uh, you know, I have a, I'm not, I'm not blowing up out here, um, but um, <laughs> you're getting there. All, all that stuff, all that stuff. I think it's important primarily for when people see me, for example, you know, they might see a post of mine on LinkedIn, if that's where they reside, you know, in the social media world, they might then go to my website. They might then go and say, oh, okay, let's check out where, you know, it's a credibility thing. If you're not on certain things, People are like, oh, he's not on Instagram. That's weird because they primarily live on Instagram. Even if I have 500 followers, I'm still on there doing stuff. Got it. You know, so I think that that part is important. I'm on TikTok. I just copy whatever I do on Instagram over to TikTok. I don't, you know, I don't. Uh, I feel like TikTok is a weird place too. But whatever. That that it's different for everybody. I've heard great success stories of people picking up 12 million dollar, you know, uh, gross revenue clients off of TikTok. So wow. can't say anything about it. But the commitment to social media, it, it's it's a lot of time, a lot, a lot of time and not necessarily return depending on what you want to do. So tell us about your podcast. How did you get started with that? Um, I know that obviously we're on my podcast, so I always like hearing kind of um, other people's stories, how they started it, why they do it, who they talk to. So um, share a little bit about that with us. Yeah, my podcast is funny. I, I, during business season in 2022, so last year, tax season, the reality is a lot of times as I'm doing tax work and my clients work, I'm also taking breaks from it mentally and my mind goes somewhere else completely. One of those times, my mind went to, well, should I do a podcast? Like, I feel like I should just do a podcast. And because I was that year in January of 2022, I was on my, I was on my first podcast. So I went on, you know, on with a, with a close friend of mine. Uh, he put me on the podcast, talked about taxes, talked about entrepreneurship, stuff like that. It was really cool to, you know, to do. And I'm like, I really like this. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. 
And then I just kind of looked into it, took a look. But my podcast, my theme essentially is um, leaving the W-2 world into entrepreneurship because that's what happened to me. It's very relatable to most people. A lot of people who might consider it find a tremendous amount of value in, in my podcast. And my podcast is called The Capital Contribution. Um, and yeah, you know, I think everyday people, not multi, not multimillionaires, just your everyday people that left left W2 world and went into entrepreneurship, their journey. And, and I think that it's cool. Some very similar to how mine got started. That's awesome. And has, uh, has that brought you any just great connections, any new um, friendships just through LinkedIn or where are you finding these uh, people that you're interviewing? Are they friends, uh, people you met on social media? So I would probably say it's a mix. So some of them are uh, clients. Okay. So a few of the folks that, that were on there were my clients. I said, hey, I, they did their own podcast. They've been on a few podcasts and I asked them, hey, come to my podcast. They okay. And then the connections I made with people from LinkedIn, straight from LinkedIn, um, Adam Posner, who is extremely active on LinkedIn, he has I think like thirty or forty thousand followers, and it talks about recruiting stuff. And we had a great chat on the on the podcast. That was awesome. Uh, and I can believe, honestly, couldn't believe he said yes to being on it. It was really cool because he's got a whole, you know, he interviews Gary Vee and and big names like that. Um, so that was cool. And then like you know Brandon Hall, uh, Chase Berkey, who are both very active in the CPA space. Again, they were posting they were posting on LinkedIn. I hit them up like, in the messages. Hey, you guys want to come to my show? And I learned a tremendous amount. And now, with some of the stuff where I'm helping out other folks that are in the industry that are looking for a different approach, guess where I'm sending them? Sending them straight to Brandon Hall and Chase Berkey for you know that that different experience that I've learned. And and I think honestly. The, recently, especially the best part about the podcast that is recorded and all that. Once I get off the phone with someone or or I'm helping them, guiding them, they're like, well, what's different about this person or, or this firm? I literally just go copy and paste a link to that podcast and they'll jam to it for an hour and, you know, and they'll listen to it. And, wow. Like that's, you know, you get a lot of insight into a person um, and, and how they're running their company and all that. And I think that that, that helps a lot too. I yeah, I think that's awesome because they get to really know the person, right? You don't just yeah. say, you don't get to look at their website and read about them. You get to learn their exactly. demeanor. You get to learn what's important to them, what they yep. talk about, how they approach um, different, you know, aspects of their day to day business, things like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 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 you might not like them, and you might just from that hour or forty five minute podcast that that you listen to, you might say, nah. You know, but it's so much more, like you said, so much more of an insight into the person than their web, than the website or, or than social media. Cause it's a persona now. And then, and then, if, oh, and then a few of the guests that I got were from Instagram, for example, there's some attorney that was doing things different, hit him up and, and we chatted. Nice. Nice. That's really cool. I'm going to go ahead and at the end of uh, the video, so down below in YouTube, and um, this is also on Spotify, Apple music right below in the description. It's going to be a link to your podcast as well. Also, awesome. anybody who's listening, if you guys want to uh, check it out, check out the link below. Um, a few more questions for you. Have you ever had a mentor um, moving through this this world of, um, you know, going from W2 to entrepreneurship on your own? Have you had a mentor that's been able to kind of lead you through that? Or did you just take that leap of faith on your own? It was all on my own. For, for So for the uh, transition from W2 to entrepreneurship, and, and being on my own, yeah, that was all me. Uh, but my, you know, kind of learning the ropes, doing everything. You know, occasionally I could ask someone who's been 
um, you know, in my shoes or, or something like I actually a couple of weeks ago, had the conversation with Chase Berkey again, because after that podcast, we still, you know, stayed close and, 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 and would chat every once in a while, ping, you know, message him on LinkedIn, whatever. And we chatted the other day for like an hour and he gave me some pointers, really great guy. Um, but I also had some really good mentors in my days in, in, in the accounting firm that I still chat with, you know, some, some people, the guy from Florida that I, when I was working there at EY, you know, um, chatted with him. So, so yeah, definitely, definitely some people that are still around that will be, that make for a great um, mentor. But when it comes to like entrepreneurship and, and, and all that, that's kind of all me learning on the go. Cool. And I kind of like it that way, to be honest. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think that sometimes when you're carving out your own path, it's uh, it's almost more fun because you get to decide how you want to do things. And then it gives you the opportunity to help others um, and be a mentor that uh, to, you know, to other people and show them, hey, this is how I did it. Maybe, you know, yeah. X, Y and Z didn't work, but you should try, you know, doing this, this and for this. sure, for sure. And I think you can try it. And and there's somebody that you know, this guy, Nick Crown, again, I found him on Instagram, too. He does really interesting. He started off doing these videos like rich versus real rich. So like, these personalities of people making millions and millions of dollars and just a little, like just one or 2 million and, and their differences. But, uh, you know, there, he talks about iteration and I think that it's a fascinating thing to think about. Iterating for me is on LinkedIn, posting, posting, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't work. Yeah. And then, and then channeling and, and going after the stuff that works. And, and adjusting accordingly, sometimes intentionally, sometimes not intentionally. And then the other part of it is like on Instagram or videos or whatever you want to try, like a podcast, that's all iterations. So it's so to me, that is a great teacher, right? You iterate, you do that, it gets traction. Okay, I'm going to keep going in that direction. So that's really what, um you know, to me that I that I kind of pick up on it. I'm, I'm very happy that I didn't necessarily have a mentor per se, because I kind of like doing it on my own. I don't know. It's a weird thing, I guess. Yeah. Some of those iterations you're talking about, it's funny you said that. Um, I don't know if you've read it, but uh, have you read 10X is easier than 2X? I have not. No. Okay. So I would recommend reading it or listening to the audiobook, whatever you um, yeah. prefer, but it's basically talking about the, those same iterations. And it doesn't use that word exactly, but it's talking about taking that um, that jump instead of trying to double you know what you're doing. Take that yeah. that 10x jump and in, in really pushing forward and cutting out the 80% of the little things that aren't working. So once yeah. you found, like you mentioned, you know, maybe it's a LinkedIn post that does really well, taking that small 20% that does well and expanding on that instead of yes. trying to expand your full business. Um, and I think you you mentioned that you kind of already do that a lot with your clients, where you know you're not working with the small tax returns and focusing on that. You charge the higher fees you give better value, better service and things like that. So it sounds like it's a lot of kind of what you're already doing. Um, we'll, we'll have to talk about it uh, a little bit later after the, after the podcast yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it's very true. And, and well, and, and the clients um, and what I charge and, and that whole mentality of value over volume, that was from day one. And that, again, I think even though I jumped around seven firms, even though I've had that experience and some might look at it to say, Oh man, that's, you know, you, how do you jump so many firms? That's not good. But I learned what I wanted to do and I learned what I didn't want to do. And that kind of taught me across those seven firms to what direction I want to take my firm. So no regrets, no, you know, I don't have any kind of, you know, obviously certainly no ill will towards anybody, but, um, you know, I learned a lot of what to do, what not to do. And I think that experience is invaluable. 
Awesome. How, how do you define success in your role? In my role? That's a good question. I, to me, I think success to me for at least is not, it's not millions of dollars. To me, success is really just like being able to have the free time to do what I want to do while making some money and, you know, treating people well and eventually having like employees and all that and doing the same thing with them. Like time is your most valuable thing in life, I think, you know, and, and if you can have more of that free time, if you can have more of that ability to spend time with your kids to spend time with your, with your wife or, or husband or whatever it is and, and your family and, and still maintain your business that that's success. Success isn't millions of dollars per se, because sometimes that comes at the cost of everything else. And that that's rough. I think that might be one of the, my favorite answers I've gotten so far that I, yeah. I feel the exact same way. And you might've kind of already answered this, but the last question I like to ask everybody is what is your, why, why do you do what you do? Which is in part connected to, to what I said before, which is really just, you know, the family, family, the kids, the spending the time, the, the, having the ability to disconnect on a, on a random Thursday and go to the beach for, you know, the pick up my son early from daycare. That that's what, that's why, you know, again, some people have money as a, as a, as a motivator and that's fine. You know what I mean? Like they can get there. You can, you can do anything. I really think if you really truly believe in it and, and spend a lot of time on it. But the thing is, it's a, it's a balance. You can have the money, but then you're going to, you know, possibly have all this money and, but 15 years passed and, I can't even fathom, you know, not, not being there for 15 years or something like that. You know, I, I don't know. It's, it's tough, but yeah, but that's the short answer family, you know, everybody there being available, being there for people, um, having the free time. And yeah, that to me is the why I love it. Family, friends and helping others. Yeah, yeah that's it, man. And having fun. Cause you know, I mean, can't, can't be the fun CPA if you're not having fun. Exactly. Exactly. Well, <laughs> um, Yuri, I really appreciate you coming on. This has been an absolute blast. It's been uh, it's been a pleasure, and uh, we will have to hopefully do this again soon. Sounds good, man. Thanks for having me on. See ya.